Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. I am Dude Buzz, and I am joined by my guys Johnny, Tony, and special guest Herb Lawrence for Sunday Fun Day. Before we get into the episode, be sure to go to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Following us on Twitter at ontapsportsnet, at Socks on Tap. Anywhere you can rate and subscribe to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, give us a five-star rating and review. It'd be very appreciate, appreciated. I can't talk today. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the beer. Um, Herb, welcome to the show, man. We have a bunch of questions for you. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate the uh, invite and the conversation we're about to have. Absolutely. It's, it's a good time to talk White Sox baseball. I mean, since you know we haven't had it, it's good to talk with a little bit of news that we do actually have. Mm-hmm. So we'll just get right into the questions here, man. Several teams are releasing minor leaguers. How do you think this will affect farm systems going forward? Well, I just think that, firstly, the minor league system in general is an antiquated thing that we're doing still. Um, I feel sorry for the people who are actually getting released because they've put their heart and soul into this craft, and now what are they going to do? Even the minor leaguers who are on a major league roster or on a major league uh, payroll, they're not playing games this year. So it's going to be really tough for them to keep their dream alive and without actual live games and hitting and such. So it's good and bad. The players I feel sorry for, but the paring down of the minor leagues, I'm in for it. I want people to like want to play baseball. I think the, the drag of the minor leagues is what makes people say, okay, I'm a good baseball player. I'm a good football player, I'm a good basketball player how do I get there and how do I get the money first and make the most impact initially? If you look at baseball, yeah, they get the most money eventually after like six, seven years in the major leagues, after about three years in the minors, they'll get their hundred million dollar, $300 million deal. But that takes a lot. That takes a lot of uh, gambling, betting on yourself. You go to basketball, you're good in uh, high school. One of the top players, one year in high school, one year in college, you're in the pros making real money. Football, three years in, in uh, college. Then you're in the pros. So pairing that down for prospective athletes to say, you know what, they're going to have less players, maybe less affiliates, and looking to have a cheaper product on the field, let me th- get this baseball thing a chance. And so eventually I think it would be good for the minor leagues, but right now it's just hard for people expecting their lives to go to the major leagues and it just end abruptly. Like there's no, there's people who are just out of baseball now who are going to have a game this year. Uh, we're going to have a minor league season season this year. Now just done. It's, it's sad for those guys. I feel, I feel very bad for them. Herb, you are an excellent guest to have on here. And I can tell buzz was really excited to have you because mm-hmm. he totally forgot to introduce Johnny and I. So. I don't. I said I was joined by Johnny, and I said I was do- joined by Johnny and Tony, but I had special guest Herb, and yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I'm a little excited. I'm a little excited Herb's on the podcast, right? I'm a big Herb fan. Herb's actually also going to be coming on Bulls on Tap Thursday. Herb, mm-hmm. Herb's like one of my best friends. <laughs> I, I don't know if he views that the same way as I do, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But you know, I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I was very, very excited. But my bad, I didn't introduce you guys. I knew you, uh, we had a great night last night, and my brain is still a little foggy. I was going to say, you know, thank you for, for actually not making me talk yet, because I'm still getting my getting my balance underneath me this morning. Um, Herb, 
<laughs> the big issue surrounding MLB's return to play is money. What are your thoughts on the way things are currently going, and what do you think the two do you think the two sides will be able to reach an agreement? I think that I'm pro player always, a uh, pro union guy too. So the money that was agreed upon, I understand that the owners might have not thought that the fans would be in the stands when they agreed upon that, but the players are like, you know what, Mike Trout's making, what, $35 million this year, and they want him to make seven. Yeah, I get it as lay people. Uh, we're like, it's great. You're playing baseball. Go out there and play for your $7 million. But also a guy at a high level has, like I just said, worked for a long time to get to this level. He wants to get his money, and he doesn't want to get his $35 million if he doesn't earn the $35 million for 162 And if you're going to play 82 cool. Pair that down half. I'm smooth with it. And if the players stay with that type of mentality, I don't think baseball will be played this year. I want them to stay at that mentality because once you give in to public pressure, to the owners, then they'll use this next year for the CBA when it's, when it's uh, expiring after the 2021 season. They need to set a precedent that says, hey, guys, we understand it's a hard time. and We understand that you guys might not make money this year or we might lose money. One way to prove that is open your books. I know you're not going to do that, so we're going to have a hard and fast stance right here. You pay us prorated salaries. Otherwise, we're not going to play at all. And I think that is, I think the players are not going to do that. There's too many of the rank and file that want to play, that have careers. There's too many people who know that this is a fleeting career. They're going to be in this for two, three years, and they want to play baseball while they can while they have the ability to. So I think they're going to eventually um, cave and acquiesce to what the owners want. That's what they did with the last CBA. The leadership, Tony Clark, uh, I'm not very fond on. He's not a very good uh, labor lawyer. I don't think he's a lawyer at all. But I hope I'm wrong about that. And they hold out because I want baseball to be right, not just back, but right. Yeah, good point there, Herb. Um, you know, another thing that's been affected by, um, you know, coronavirus suspending the season um, and moving everything back was the MLB draft. Um, and that's upcoming uh, pretty soon here, June 10th and 11th. Uh, they trimmed it down, only five rounds planned this year. Um, so in that, obviously, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this before. What do you think the White Sox approach should be uh, on something like this? And then um, do you have any prospects in particular uh, that stand out to you? Well, I just go by the old school, like I don't think it was like two drafts ago where they passed on Alec Thomas. And I know his dad worked for the team and he probably told them not to draft my kid. I think that was the story that don't draft my kid. Instead, they drafted Steel Walker, who is now a Texas Ranger now, um, after getting traded for Nomar Mazzara. I would like them to draft Mount Carmel's Ed, Ed Howard, the same school that Alec Thomas went to, kid from the Jackie Robinson West program that famously uh, got players from different districts to win the World Series for the United States. But that kid has grown up, and now he's a smooth shortstop. And shortstops, as you guys all know, can be moved anywhere. Yeah, we have Timmy on our team, but the versatility of Ed Howard, I would like to, for him to be a White Sox player, uh, be a great um, thing for Jerry. Again, another guy from the RBI program that he runs for the White Sox that grows up to be a major league player. I think the guy, uh, Corey Ray in Milwaukee, he got drafted a couple of years ago is another guy from the RBI program. So 
in my heart of hearts, that would be a dream scenario. I know he's more of a mid-round guy right now. He's a mid-first-round guy, while the White Sox are 11th pick. But that would be my guy I would go for, Ed Howard. I really like his game. I'm, he has time to develop. The White Sox have no real rush for a shortstop in their system, so he has time to just chill out and be a better player if they develop him right. Uh, absolutely, and he's a Linwood native too, which isn't actually too far from me, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Um, I like Ed Howard a lot. Um, next question: If a 2020 season is played, if we're you know fortunate enough to get baseball and they can come to an agreement to get everything going, if a 2020 season is played, what are the biggest keys for the Sox if uh, they want to make the postseason? I think they need to do things experimentally. They don't have a real fifth starter like Ronaldo Lopez. I'm good on. Um, Gio uh, Gonzalez had a you know shoulder problem early in spring training, didn't pitch in spring training for the most part. But they have a great problem where they have two guys who are coming off of Tommy John surgeries that should be ready to pitch. And since there's no minor leagues, they have to pitch somewhere. So I would like for them to do a hybrid type of thing where either it's a starter and a closer. So it's like Lopez starts the game. And you end it with um, you end it with either Rodon or Kopech, or you get Geo uh, to start a game, and they end it with either one of those two guys. So the fourth and fifth starter is interchangeable. The year is so short, eighty-two games or hundred games, they really won't get tired out. They get the rehab by actually playing games, and you get stronger by only exposing Ronaldo Lopez to four innings or however many of the pitch count you have. 75 pitches for Rodon. You have 75 pitches for Michael Kopech. They're eased into the starting role. So when 2021 hits a full season, they can hit the ground running. And I think that would make the team better. The more Ronaldo Lopez or Gio Gonzalez get exposed the third time through the lineup, the second time through the lineup, the better the other team's going to be. So having them out of the game and then having a better pitcher, maybe uh, maybe you start the other way with Kopech and Rodon being the starters because they have a, a pitch limit, and then have those other guys come in after. I think this is the opportunity for the White Sox with the 82-game schedule and a young team like Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez, even though he's a second-year player, Nick Madrigal. Usually after 162, 100 games in, those guys hit walls. Now, short season, just run fast straight through the barrier. And you don't have to worry about that rookie wall necessarily with Louis Robert or Eloy or Nick Magical. They just go. And I think that this short season gives the White Sox an advantage that it didn't have with the 162. I thought the Twins were a better team after they signed Josh Donaldson. Now with 82 games, we have our best players up. There's no minor league games playing with uh, Nick Magical. We've already signed Louis Robert. This might work in the White Sox favor to compete longer and maybe even take that AL Central if they play at the level that their back of the baseball cards say they will. Herb, a little two-parter here. Um, Mm -hmm. You kind of referenced into this with, you used some words for development and some words for competitiveness. Would you classify the 2020 season, if we do play, as a developmental year for them or more of a competitive year? And then uh, I'll, I'll come back with the next one. I think it's a competitive year. They, if they do not battle the Twins and the Indians. They don't have to win the AL Central. That's far-fetched. It's hard to believe that they could do that, even though it's a shorter schedule. But battle, like, through the last week, they're still in it. 
They might be even in that wild card hunt because they're expanding the playoffs. That's what I want from this team. Anything else, I think it's a failure. All right. I love that. I, I'm right there with you. I, I think that there's a, the perfect opportunity for this team to, to get to the postseason this year. Herb, who are you most excited to see play for the White Sox this year and why? I'm most excited to see Luis Robert. It's because a lot of people that spoke before this coronavirus was going on said that he is the best of the prospects that have come up. Better than Yoan, better than Eloy, better than Nick Magical, better than Kopech, better than Rodon, better than all the guys who have come up. And so if he's better than Yoan, who is a bona fide top 10 hitter in the league right now, sign me up immediately. Yep. Immediately. He seems like he got it last year. Like that first year in minors, I was like, I, he's, he's not there yet. He was striking out a lot. He was getting hurt and wasn't hitting for power. Last year, mercy. Double A, triple A. No one can get that kid out. And he was tracking balls in center field like no one's business. So if he's the complete player that we saw down last year, and that develops into a major league player that is better than Johan, better than Eloy. White Sox are cooking with gas. I just can't wait until I see that guy. And he's going to be like sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth in the lineup, too. Imagine that. This year, he probably won't lead off, but that's where I would put him in the future. But he won't even be like a, like a person people think about initially. And then when he starts relaxing and like, hey, there's no pressure on me. Let's go. He's going to be his, the player that he pretends to, or that he he wants to be in the future. So it's going to be great. Johnny, yeah. do you Johnny, do you foresee a slump with with Luis Robert coming out of the yeah. gate? So this is one thing that um, a shortened season might have an impact on this. I was going to say, Herb, the you know the uh, Luis Robert hype is very real, and we all know about the natural skills in his season last year. Yeah. Um, I think he's got such he's he's an athletic specimen. I mean, you look yes. at the kids like he's built like a superhero. Like it's unbelievable. So I think that could actually help him in just pushing like you you know kind of said pushing through that threshold at the beginning with him yeah. and Madrigal, and you just kind of don't even think about it. You hit the ground running. I think the shortened season could help him with that. There's less time for slump. And, you know, kind of going into a week of a wall of a hitting or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I think his, uh, you know, his athleticism alone, um, that could help drive this thing. And he could be, you know, Herb, we've, we've talked about, um, you know, we see other the teams have players come up and they rake immediately. We talk about mm-hmm. guys like Pete Alonzo for like the Mets or, uh, you know, for a time period of time, it was Michael Chavis up in uh, Boston. Um, you've seen it around the league for Dan Tatis, obviously the name hurts for us, but you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Luis Robert could be our first opportunity for that because Eloy had his struggles at the beginning when he came up. Moncada, I mean, you know, I granted it was 2017, um, but you know, he, he had all the strikeout problems even in mm-hmm. year two. Um, Ronaldo Lopez uh, is still trying to work it out. Um, Lucas Giolito took a year, you know a year and a half essentially. So I think Luis Robert. Um, I I could see some slumping Tony, but at the same time, I think the shortened schedule kind of favors him uh, this year. I wanted the it. full I wanted the full negative Nani there, and you you kind of held back a little bit. So I'm a little no, <laughs> this is the one Tony where I think it, it literally is the athleticism that he possesses. So even if he does go into a wall hitting wise, he's going to save runs defensively just because he is so fast and rangy. Like you know, there's still going to be value there, um, even if the bat isn't there right away. And he's you know kind of he's a free swinger, so that that's one thing that could get him in trouble. But hey, if pitchers don't figure him out and you can ride that for a while uh, i think mm-hmm. you can see it shoot out of the cannon so um that was my take on it but let's uh move on to some other guys uh 
um, young players uh, that the White Sox have here that we're still um, waiting to see their full potential. Herb, uh, which pitcher um, is most likely to have a breakout season next? Uh, that being Reynaldo Lopez, Dylan Cease, or Michael Kopech, and why do you think that is the case? I believe Dylan Cease is going to have the breakouts year. My saying that Michael Kopech could do that experimental thing, that's just me. I don't think the White Sox are going to have him pitch as many innings as I would want him to. I would want him to start initially just full bore because I think he's been, you know, he's been pitching to hitters since last year in uh, fall leagues. So I think he's ready to go, but I don't think the White Sox will give him that opportunity. Dylan Cease, on the other hand, like Fiora's talking about with other pitchers who have struggled, Ronaldo Lopez, uh, Lucas Giolito, uh, in their, year, their rookie years, that rookie year was promising, but also uh, upsetting because there was always a, a inning where he couldn't get out of. He was just frustrated. Like I was at the game, I think his first start, rolling through that game, and I think the fifth or fourth inning just fell apart, and then he got it back together. That was the theme of his year all year long uh, last year in 2019. I think he can put it all together in 2020 and be like Giolito. Giolito used to be like that, where he was like, okay, i am got this filthy stuff working, and then it falls apart, and I'm worried about that single that just happened instead of concentrating on the pitcher or the, the batter who's in front of me right now. So I hope that he can get in with Cease. Uh, Giolito can get in with Cease and say, forget about that nonsense. Forget about the double that just happened. This next batter is the most important batter that you're going to face. Battle him. And then once you battle him, battle the next guy. The second, the guy at second, you can't do anything about. And he gets in his own head with that because he has filthy stuff. We all know this. Same thing with Ronaldo Lopez. I think Ronaldo Lopez has the most filthy stuff on the team. He just has a head case. He's not there. And I want to be wrong about him, but I just don't have a lot of confidence in him. I have a lot of confidence in Cease, a lot of confidence in Kopech. My confidence for Rodon has gone away because of the injuries. But once he pitches, he's filthy to himself. That slider can't be hit. Um, but, yeah, still in Cease is the guy that I'm looking for to have a, a bounce-back year in a second full year of Major League Pitching. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with that about, about Rodon, too. The injuries have kind of made me a little bit weary. But last year when he was in, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but his K through 9 rate was like 11.8. He, he was striking out people left and right before – the injury really did affect him. And then, you know, he made that start and then they took him out for the Tommy John surgery last year. Um, another guy with promise who hasn't seemed to put it all together is a guy like Nomar Mazzara. And correct me if I'm wrong, Herb, but I felt like you and I had a lot of conversation about Puig last year. Or not last year. That's not fair. This, in this uh, off season. Yeah. Yes, thank you. You know, because that's a guy who I was looking for. Bringing in that guy who's kind of, I don't know. I, I love that guy with a little bit of fire, you know, and I, I think that Puig is a good baseball player. But how do you think Nomar... Mazzara will fare as an everyday right fielder for the White Sox this year because in, in Texas he never really reached that ceiling the Sox obviously saw something in him when they sent Steel Walker over to Texas for him to bring him in as the right fielder what, what do you see him doing this year how do you think he uh, pans out for us I think that saying of you know a guy who just needs a new atmosphere to break out might be Nomar Mazzara's thing or his here I was mad initially at the trade, not because of the player. The player is fine. 20 home runs at a guy who's batting 7th or 8th, perfect, excellent. But I was mad at, firstly, that they didn't draft Alec Thomas. 
and then they passed on him to get Steel Walker and then give up on Steel Walker a year and a half into his career. That's what I was mad at. Um, the player, Nomar Mazzara, we won't be counting on him. But if he does his regular 20 home run thing, everybody in the world's going to be happy. He's only 25 years old. That's why I keep on hearing from Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and all the assorted White Sox people. So I'm not looking at him as a guy that the White Sox need to count on. If he breaks out, that's bonus. If he's just Nomar Mazzara, smooth. I, I'm fine with a right fielder who hits 20 home runs, plays a average to below average right field, fine. Just don't make any egregious errors that cost us too many runs. But Nomar Mazzara is a guy that if he does the stuff that he's done through his career, you shrug your shoulders like, okay, fine. You're not paying him that much money. He has another year on his contract, I believe, and you can get another guy in there if, if need be this next offseason. Like, you can go after Mookie Betts. He doesn't block Mookie Betts in any way. You know who's there... another guy that came in here hitting 20 homers that I expected them to hit 20 homers for the White Sox? Yonder Alonzo. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I was, I was that, gonna ask, that, that name hurts more than Fernando Tatis. It really does. Um, Herb, I just wanted to follow God, up on that terrible. question really quick uh, before the next one comes in here. Um, yeah. But did you have a preference for who you uh, – obviously, No More Bizarre was kind of unexpected, I, I would mm-hmm. say. We heard rumblings just before it happened, and then obviously they did. But – um, I wanted the White Sox to go another route there and get one of the big fish. Uh, did it really help, you know, beef up this lineup and put them in the right field spot? Is there anyone else that you would have uh, preferred to see the White Sox target um, in free agency or via trade this past offseason to fill that right uh, field hole instead of Mazzara? Um, no, I, I mean, I'm sure I said Puig, and I think I got pushed back because of Jose Abreu doesn't like Puig. They don't see eye to eye, but as Buzz was saying, you need some type, a little of a, an asshole in the clubhouse. I mean, what is AJ? What the hell is he? I don't like AJ as a White Sox fan, which is weird, but he was necessary for that team to go on. You need a guy who's an agitator and is going to play a decent right field. The man's got a can of an arm. And yep. yeah, he's a little reckless, whatever, but he can't just have complimentary. Hey, guys, we're all having a great time. We're all loving each other. No, you need some some fire in there. You need a guy who's going to be – especially a bunch of Latin players in there. you got a, a guy that's just talking crazy. I mean, Juan Uribe, that guy too, talking crazy, everybody keeping loose, loving him. Like, there's not a play – there's not a, a teammate that really would say, hey, I didn't like Yasiel Puig's whole thing. You know, he had the, the beef with uh, Zach Grinke. But if you talk to Grinky, you'll still say the man came up to play and he played hard. He was pretty good as a Dodger. The Cleveland Indians, people loved him. Cincinnati Reds, people loved him. Especially, he got traded and he's still out there fighting with his team versus the Pittsburgh Pirates. Like that day. I don't know if he knew he got traded, but he was out there battling. That's the type of guy I want on my squad. And the fact that he's still out there, not signed by anybody, is ridiculous to me. Yep. Like he's... Not the guy that he used to be with the Dodgers, but he's still a valuable member of a team, young enough to recapture some of that old glory. One-year deal, something like $8 million, something little to prove your worth again. I don't see why not. And I still don't see why not the White Sox can't do that. A valuable platoon right there, even though he wasn't great in his years past versus left-handers. Last year, he's a little bit better versus left-handers. So that platoon would work out with him and Nomar Mazzara, just like we were talking about platoon pitchers to start the game, 
platoon right fielders will be good to give Nomar Bizarro. Would, would have been 150 in a regular season. Now, like 75 in a full or half season is kind of weird, especially you know that the guy can't hit right left-handers. I've never been so happy in my life because, you know, I, I've, I've got Herb having my back with the Puig thing. I, I just, that was the whole thing because I got attacked a little bit about that. And I'm going to give a shout out to our buddy Kenwo, too. You know, he's a good baseball mind. I know he gets under people's skin a lot. Shout out, Ken, if you're listening. But, uh, you know, I was I was all for Puig just because of that attitude, that that fire, you know, because like you were saying in the clubhouse, you know, all these guys seem to have that that closeness. But do you really hold people accountable if they're, you know, as not maybe a leader? I, I don't want to say he would be a leader, but are you going to hold people accountable if they're slumping? And, hey, man, it's OK. No, it's not OK, man. You need to work on your craft. You need to get better. I think that's the kind of guy that he is. And I still think he can be effective. Um, that's just my two cents on it. But I mean, I'm. I'm happy with what the Sox did for the most part. It's just, you know, I, I really do hope that guy lands a job because I think the fact that he's not on a roster and if a season does happen and he's not signed, if somebody doesn't take a flyer on him, I, I, I'd be shocked. I, I really would be. And he's a guy with, with the White Sox having so many cerebral players out there. Jose Abreu, a leader, a cerebral guy, doesn't want all that nonsense around. He can keep Yasiel Puig in check. Um, Yasmani Grandal. He's a nice, concentrated on his what he's got to do today. And if Yasiel's on his left talking shit, Yasmani will get assessed about, hey, we need to concentrate on the game, and I need to concentrate on the game. All that yelling, all that boombox playing needs to stop. And he'll either acquiesce to their what they want, or he'll push back. Either way, I think it's a good thing to have him in this White Sox clubhouse. He can help the team just facing left-handers. And then a le- uh, late-inning uh, replacement for if Edwin Encarnacion gets a single. Let's get a little faster guy on there. Let's get a guy that's going to actually maybe go from first to third on a single instead of the plotting of him and maybe Yasmani Grandal or Jose Abreu. Right. Herb, talking about off-season acquisitions, wh- which one's your favorite? Which one do you think is going to have the biggest impact on this team? The one I asked for and the one I wanted the most was Dallas Keuchel. He reminds me so much of Mark Burley. It's scary. He's not of the caliber of Mark Burley, but he's just below there. His pitch location, having Yasmani Grandal on the team too, is a huge factor. I think Yasmani Grandal was the signal, was the clearing call out to all free agents. We're really serious about winning this year we're getting the top catcher out here and one of the top 10 free agents out here this is a different white Sox team than you known and then punctuating that like it was after the trade for nomar mazar i was really down then i was yelling at the white Sox on the fucking uh socks on tap socks on tap socks uh locked on socks podcast sorry guys um and <laughs> that's I was just, all good we were yelling I, too i was just like what the Everybody's going young. on, and, you know, <laughs> it's it's garbage moves like this that make Rick Hahn one of the worst, blah, blah, blah. Then he goes and signs Dallas Keiko, and I was like, oh, my God, he's listening. That's what we needed. We needed a guy. Track. Yeah, we needed a guy that was of Dallas Keiko's caliber. Lefty, been there, done that, gold glover, veteran that can get the youngsters some counsel of how to do things. <sighs> As a professional, we had Ivan Nova last year. He pitched well for what he was, 
but he's not a guy where people are like going to stand up and notice like, okay, I want to get into Ivan Nova's ear and see what he wants me to do in this situation, this count. Dallas Keuchel, I think, is that guy. He's been there. He's, he's got a Cy Young. He's got a World Series, even though it's tainted. Young pitchers like Dylan Cease, even Giolito, who is the ace of the staff, would be like, okay, Dallas, what, what do you think about this, this scenario when I'm going against this guy? And Dallas can impart that good knowledge that he wants these pitchers to be good. And the fact that Dallas Keuchel, even though he wasn't a top, top-tier pitcher, wanted to come to the White Sox tells me a lot about the team and where the team is going and where free agents think about the White Sox. And I was very excited. That's the one where I was like, okay, the White Sox are serious. This White Sox want to win. And then subsequently, I think they signed Edwin Encarnacion. And that's another guy I wanted. I wanted J.D. Martinez before that, but they held on to him for some reason and then traded Mookie Betts. I, I just don't know what's going on in Boston. That's That shit still doesn't make sense to me. It's, I don't think it makes sense to anybody what's going on in Boston. Or- it's irritating as hell. Like, you keep $20 million plus for J.D. Martinez – where people were willing to give you valuable assets for it. Then they trade pennies on the dollar for Mookie Betts. I just, I, I mean, yeah, seriously. I, I think in Boston, it's kind of part of like the split uh, um, visions of, you know, you had the old, you have the remnants of the old front office there. And then the new guy from Tampa comes in and wants to, you know, sell off, do all these things. So I think it's like a clash there and they're just kind of stuck. Um, in limbo right now. Uh, that's my opinion on Boston. But anyway, uh, let's move on here. Uh, we're going to play a little internet manager here. Herb Herb Lawrence is the manager of the Chicago White Sox, hypothetically okay. here. Um, what does your opening day lineup look like? Okay. I got changed initially from, like, I was going to go with Luis Robert initially when I was starting the offseason. But White Sox Dave came on with me, I think, the same week you did, Tony. Yep. And he said that Yasmani Grandal would be the ideal leadoff guy. So I've looked it up, and I've thought about it ever since. And, yeah, Yasmani Grandal would be my number one guy. Then I would go to Johan Mankata. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to Edwin Encarnacion as my third hitter. Fourth hitter would be Eloy Jimenez. Fifth hitter is Jose Abreu. And this is the reason why, because people say that Jose Abreu is some RBI guy. That's his tool. That's a thing he does well. So I don't know why I would bat him first or third or fourth if he's an RBI guy. Give me p- people like Edward Encarnacion who can get on base in front of him. He, I think, got on a base, uh, what, 36, 37% of the time last year. Eloy is ready to explode this year. With the protection of Jose Abreu behind him, I think it's even more. And if you believe in protection or not, I, you know, it's here or there with me. But I think some players and pitchers do believe in the protection behind you. So I have Jose Abreu at fifth. Sixth, I'm going to have Tim Anderson. Seventh, I'm going Nomar Mazzara. Eighth, I'm going Louis Robert. And then nine, I'm going combination of either Magical or Garcia, whichever one plays second base. But I would rather have Magical play all 80, whatever, 82. I'm good on Louis Garcia. He could be a (laughs) nice utility guy, pinch hits or pinch runs or nice. He's a Swiss Army guy. Yeah. To yeah. start him, any any amount of games over half is ludicrous to me. Yeah, I think if you if you have a slump there with Madrigal too, then you can plug him in. Yeah, you get him a little break and let him clear his head. That, that can be an option for Larry Garcia as well. But I really like what you said at the top there, Herb. I've been on this train since we acquired him. Uh, you know, Monty Grandal is the leadoff guy. I think that would be cool. Um, it would be kind of a break from the mold, you know, the standard traditional lineup. You have a speedy, fast guy, whatever. Yes, Monty Grandal doesn't have burner speed. 
But mm-hmm. one of the re- you know, obviously we brought him in to be a very solid defensive backstop, one of the best of the game, if not the best. And then the other thing is the White Sox had terrible, uh, you know, walk percentages last year. Um, he can do that. He, he's proven that year after year. I think that would be ideal. Um, and like I said, you're not going to have the blazing speed, but hey, if you got those big boppers behind him, uh, he's not going to have to run uh, too fast because it's just going to be in the gap and can trot home. So um, I really like that uh, that you said Yasmani Grandal at the top. Uh, what about I'm the with- rest of your lineup? Oh, you want, you want me to give you mine? Uh, yeah, mine would be yeah. kind of similar. Um, I, I think we, I, I believe we did this um, way back, like right before spring training. I think we all kind of did. So mine would be, yeah, Yasmani Grandal, one. Um, Yohan Mankata, two. Um, I had said I kind of like did like a combination of realistic and my ideal. So my ideal, I'd probably have um, Edwin uh, up at three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would probably go a Bray U4. I don't, I just don't think they're going to drop him any yeah. lower than that. That's just my opinion. Um, and then I'd go Eloy five. Um, who do I have after that? Um, I thought, you know, if they're investing in this guy and they really like him, um, and maybe they're not ready on Robert yet, yeah, I could have seen Nomar Mazzara going in there at six. I think that's where I slotted him. Um, and then I would go, um, with, uh, let's see, I have Luis Robert then right after him at seven. Um, and then I had Lurry um, as second base, and then who, who am I missing here? Tim Anderson. Oh, yeah, no, okay, so t- excuse me, it was Timmy after uh, Mazzara, and then Robert, and then, uh, yeah, sorry, I was, missing, okay. anyway, I was missing a position in there, but yeah, that's how I would go then, and then uh, with, with Garcia uh, last at second base, so that was mine, um, but I just kind of had a combination, because I, I don't know, it just seems like something they wouldn't put a Brayu down at five since you he's your team leader and they you know i think there's a combination of um mindsets at play there so that was mine um herb have you had a chance to catch any of the Sox rewind games that have been airing on nbc sports chicago very like they're on at the same time i'm at work so in mm-hmm. the corner of my eye i can look at what's going on so yeah kind of all right. I just wanted to, you know, I, I've been watching a, a decent amount of them um, when I can. And sometimes I'll have the replays late at night, too, so I can catch those. Um, but I, I was going to ask you if um, you had anything that stood out or uh, to you that you didn't really fully appreciate at the time or anything you noticed uh, differently going back and looking at that. Because it's hard to remember, you know, every single stretch of the regular season since it was so, you know, far in the past here. Um, but it, was there anything else that stood out to you? Like mine was I. I had a renewed love for Carl Everett, like even though he was only a, I think he was negative two point uh, two WAR player that year, but still it just seemed he, he would come up clutch uh, with some RBI base hits. So that was like one of my takeaways. I don't know if you had anything like that. I knew that Neil Cox was really good that year. Didn't know how good he was. Just like looking at his pitching that year, um, they show a couple times he comes in the games. I think in the World Series maybe game two and just blows away the guys he's uh, facing and just falls off the table after that. Maybe overuse that year or whatever. I think the same thing happened to Cliff Philippe, but I just don't, I didn't realize at the time how good of a pitcher that he was. And the White Sox pretty much developed that guy. I think uh, the A's pitched him or uh, drafted him. The White Sox eventually got him to the major leagues. But yeah, Neil Cox was a beast that year in 2005. So was, Cliff Philippe and Ozzy used that bullpen to perfection. It had so many, so many bombs in that uh, bullpen too. Like I saw one time, um, I mean, Damaso Marte wasn't a bomb, but he wasn't great. He was just average. And then Orlando Hernandez was terrible during the regular season, 
just abysmal. And the fact that Ozzy brought him in that game and he did what he did is amazing to me. Like, I just can't believe that that happened. Like, it was uh, bases loaded and nobody out, and that man got everybody out. So, yeah, looking back at that whole season and those rewind games, I was just like, man, this team wasn't – there wasn't any great superstars on that team, just a lot of – like, no bad players. Even Carl Everett, who was a negative two, he was a contributor. He was a guy that just did things that you're like, okay – He's a DH that really can't hit. Frank that year hit like 12 home runs in his short period of time that he was playing. I think 20 games, he had 12 home runs. Like Everybody on the team contributed, and it kind of reminds me of what the Royals did. There was no superstars on that Royals World Series team, just a lot of people who played above average. And that's that will be great if the White Sox can recapture that type of glory where just you have nobody that's dragging the team down. Everybody's just up. Yeah, Tony and I were kind of talking last night. Uh, we, we were together, and we were saying it was kind of magical. Like, you know, it was, you got some luck, you got some breaks, but then you also had unbelievable performances that, uh, you know, just sprung in the clutch, most clutch situations possible, like that series of starts uh, in the ALCS. Unbelievable. It really was. These are, Herb, these are 3 a.m. thoughts from my yeah. garage after many, many beers. <laughs> They're great thoughts. I mean, to have lucid thoughts at 3 a.m. at any time, Without beer is great, but to have some beer feeling those thoughts, they probably came out right. Absolutely. Herb, this is a loaded question, and speaking of beer, I'm going to have to crack another one for this because I know you're such a diehard Sox fan, so it's going to be a hard question for you to answer, but who is your favorite White Sox player of all time and, and why? I know it's a loaded question. I, I'll get, I think you and I have talked about it on, on Twitter before. I think that my, I, have, I have three, and I know it's not fair. Mm-hmm. But I, I have I have Burley, I have Creedy just because of what he did, and I have Jermaine Die. Those are my guys. Like I, those are the guys that I've I've always loved, and you know I have jerseys of, and I don't buy jerseys very often. But those three I have jerseys for. So who who's your favorite Sox player? And if it's multiple, I totally get it. That's fine. But um, it, it's just hard to pick one. Yeah. You know, feel free. Yeah. It's hard. I, I I put this in there. Uh, I'd get you thinking. But yeah, go ahead and <laughs> blast away. My number one is Robin Ventura, the player. Like, oh, I, really? when I say, yeah, when I say the name Robin Ventura, people are like, Ugh. like, the player was fantastic. Like, they don't realize how great Robin Ventura is. He was a uh, gold glover. I think he only went to one all-star game, which is absurd. But he was a gold glove third baseman. He has, I think he's fifth all-time in grand slams, where all the people around him, in front of him, and behind him are 400, 500 home run hitters. He hit like 250 in his career, and he's got 18 or 19 grand slams in his career. 23, I think, is the lead either by Manny Ramirez or Alex Rodriguez. But, like, the guy was clutch. In situations where people were on base, he was coming through with uh, great hits. And um, he's probably not my favorite. When I was a kid, that's how I got into White Sox baseball. 1990 is probably the start. And through then, like, Robin Ventura was great when he – Left here, and I think he went to the Mets. I was heartbroken, and then he hit that Grand Slam single, and I was like, that's my man. I, I was still rooting for the Mets because of him. And then he went to the, Dod- uh, the Yankees and Dodgers uh, subsequently. But when he was main manager, I was like, I don't want this because I know that managers are going to be killed no matter what. And his, I equate his thing to what John Paxson is. Like, John Paxson, the player... No one hated it. Everybody loved John Paxson. 
hit clutch shots. And now when you think of John Paxson, you don't think of Johnny jump shot hitting the game winner versus Phoenix. You think of the terrible front office guy. And that's what I think Robin Ventura is going to get for his career. When Robin Ventura's name brought up, it's like, oh, he's a shitty manager. Instead, he was a great baseball player. Second is Frank Thomas, of course. His career was great. Chris Tannehill, I and, uh, let's see, Brendan McCaffrey said when he makes the Hall of Fame, we're getting on a plane and going there. But we drove instead, and we went to the Hall of Fame induction of him, Greg Maddox, and I forgot the third guy. But it was a great, great afternoon because Frank is the best player in White Sox history, bar none. But my favorite player to watch probably was Burley. Yeah. The guy had, like, we talk about Greg Maddox. He is Greg Maddox on the other side of the mound with the left hand. He really didn't have great stuff. He had great location, great pitching smarts, baseball knowledge, hit a home run in the major leagues. The guy was just enjoyable to watch. Would pick off a guy every once in a while, unless Joe West was at first base, and call a balk on him like a dick and throw him out of the game. Like, the fact that he threw two no-hitters, faced the minimum three times in his career, and one perfect game is astounding with the stuff that he has. 89 miles per hour fastball, pretty much a changeup that's in his low 80s, just locating cutters, curveball, and then he was a 38th pick in the draft. We're going to five rounds this year. Imagine not having the ability to draft Mark Burley, develop Mark Burley. He barely spent any time in the minor leagues because he was so good. He was at a a junior college. They drafted him in the 38th round. He pretty much pitched like two or three months in the minors and was on that 2000 team pretty much uh, immediately. That guy is the... Like, when people think about the everyday guy making it to the majors and having a career, that's Mark Burley. He's an everyday guy with no special talents except for just know-how and how to pitch and what people are trying to do. The most My favorite game of Mark Burley's is he gave up seven runs versus the Minnesota Twins in the first inning. Either Ozzy or I forgot who was the manager at the time didn't take him out of the game. And eventually he won that game. He pitched like six innings. And the White Sox scored like eight, nine runs, and he won that game. Didn't give up any more runs after that. I was like, that's Burley. That's quintessential Burley. He was getting rocked, but he wasn't really getting rocked to a point where um, Ozzy felt that he had to take him out. And he still persevered and gave up no runs after that. Yeah, I felt like it was a really good point that you put out about Ventura going back into that. Is like, you know, it, 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 it sucks to see because I didn't get to grow up with Ventura being the third baseman, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it sucks to see kind of a, I think it's fair. I think you'll agree with this. It's it's fair to say kind of how you pointed out. It's like legacy almost kind of tarnished. I don't want to say ruined because there's people that still appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, but it's it's kind of like a leg, legacy a little bit tarnished because, you know, he came in and gosh, did he take so much crap. And and like from Sox fans that loved him too, you yeah. know. Um, I, and how you related it to PAX, which we'll, me and you I'm sure we'll touch on Thursday, but it's just – that was probably the best comparison I've ever heard. So kudos to, to that comparison because I, I never I never thought of it that way until actually like right now. And that was a fantastic comparison. Appreciate it. Yeah, I just I just uh, I feel that he should get his due as a White Sox player one of these days. I know it's not going to be in a form of a stature or anything like that, but some recognition. Hey, 
guys, forget about that manager stuff. This man was a great player. Herb, what do you miss most about being at the ballpark? I miss camaraderie with people who are different than me. Like, like I've been here, me and my girlfriend, Courtney. So at home, we see, we see each other every day. And then I go to work and I see Tanny and I see Ray Diaz. And that's pretty much it my whole day. And I miss like interacting with people, you know, who might think differently than me or who might, you know, have uh, different backgrounds than I am. And then we come together as White Sox fans and we're like, that stuff melts away. Like, I don't know if you guys know Pete Han is. Oh, yeah. 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 And Pete Han, like me and him could be different uh, politically. But when we come together and we talk White Sox baseball. We're one. We're all one there. We're, we're, we're enjoying our memories of what happened, looking forward to the future, enjoying the game, drinking a beer or two, having some food. That type of stuff doesn't happen, I don't know, of any other um, realm except for sports, where you can be different, but when you come together, all that stuff melts away. You're not talking about it. And no, it matters. And, you know, as, as a black man, I... All this stuff matters, but sometimes you want to break from it. You want to chill out and just enjoy life. Like these couple of months haven't been great and enjoyable necessarily because of lack of sports, because of worrying about your family and things like that. You like the ballpark is the sanctuary. You get away from all the rest of the stuff. Even if it's a bad ball game, you yep. yell, you get pissed. And the camaraderie with the guy, like, oh, what the fuck is, what the fuck is Renteria doing? Why are we bunting? Type of stuff. <laughs> that stuff, that stuff is uh, shared, and it's yeah. it melts all the other stuff away, and like nothing else can do. And I think the the fact of not having sports and being cooped up in our house, this tension is is palpable now with the riots and stuff. I mean, it's it means more than just you know being in the house, but I think. The fact that it's so explosive right now is a, a factor of a lot of things, but being cooped up in the house, not having sports, anger is just already on the, it's right there. And it needed, a, it had a tipping point of the death of George Floyd to push it over the top. And that's why we're seeing like anger just spill everywhere. I mean, I'm more of it, it's racial injustice, but I'm sure there's some factor in there like we're not enjoying our lives right now. Because sports are gone. And it sounds like you're family. ready to get back to a lot B tailgate, Herb. Are you are you going to oh uh, join us in, in lot B for a Sox on tap tailgate as soon as it's safe to do so? I cannot wait. Like, even if there's not a game, like, we can't go to games. We can all be socially responsible and distant at the lot beach. Hey, throw me a beer and then have our uh, wipes and wipe that down real quick and just be around. You guys were around each other last night. Yep. Having a good time. We- we tried to recreate it in Tony's uh, driveway if we could. <laughs> Just, you yeah. know, felt like a tailgate. Yeah. yeah, and that's what we need. I mean, we all had a great time at Reggie's that night. That camaraderie we had there. Oh, that was fantastic. That was, that was so much that was, fun. Wait, when oh. you walked in and you, we, you know, we were having that conversation. You know, we went. Bought, I bought you a beer. You bought me a couple beers, and then I mean, it was hanging out with Goff and um, Tanny Lawrence. was there, wasn't he? Tanny was there. Yeah. Yeah, Tanny. Yeah, I had a beer with Tanny, and I mean Shane, and Shane was on the show last week on uh, Sunday Fun Day. I mean, it was just such a great time. Like, and to your point, man, like 
when sports are going on and you're able at that time, we didn't really realize what COVID was going to do. You know, yep. I mean, it was, it was being talked about, but it wasn't like, we didn't think we were going to shut down. I'm, I'm sure no one thought that there, you know, um, but it was just such a fun time. That's what I really miss too, man. And I can't wait to get you out to lot B. And like you said, even if there's no games played there and we can't go there or well, we can't go into the stadium. Yeah. I got a, uh, <laughs> I got a 45 inch TV. I know when so- someone's got a hot spot. We could just stream right to a TV, throw it in the back of a car, man, and kick back a couple beers and watch in Lot B. You know, that'd be, how, a, that'd be a fun time, you know? I, I just uh, wanted to chime in as we're talking about doing something like this. <clears throat> how cool would it be if they do end up playing that Field of Dreams game? Um, I mean, I think they should move it to when they can have fans there. But even regardless, there's going to be a finite number of tickets. How cool would it be if everybody could be parked out there and we could watch it on, like, a projector? That would be Wouldn't that be awesome? awesome. Yeah, yes. that would be fantastic. Like like a like a drive-in type of situation. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It'd be so great. I mean, I know I would drive out to Iowa to what five hours out to Iowa to see that to have that experience. I mean, I know that awesome. we're all probably trying if those tickets were available to get there, be one of the eight thousand people. I know there would be premium seats, but who else would have that type of experience in their lifetimes to go and see a game there? I've been to the actual field and played baseball there, and it's great times, and I recommend anybody who hasn't to go out to Dyersville and do that. But, yeah, that idea right there, Nani, I'm, I'm in. I'm in to drive, and it's, I don't know if they would do it, but, yeah. I mean, you know, we need to get the word out there so we could start. Yeah, I was, and I, another thing, this was before the, you know, before the virus hit, and we thought that it was going to be, a you know, uh, we didn't know the implications of anything, but way back when they announced this game, um, I think it was last uh, fall or, or actually it was, yeah, last uh, kind of end of summer into fall. Um, but I, I had said that if, you know, since there's going to be such a small number of tickets, it would be really cool to do a, you know, watch on the video board at the rate, you know, if everybody could have gone in there, I think that would have been another cool idea. Just another way to, you know, make fans feel still included and in, like part of the community, even though everybody can't be there just because the venue is yep. so small. But uh, I thought that, would, you know, something like that would be cool. And you could do, you know, before stream a field of dreams, you know, uh, movie if people wanted or something like that. Um, I don't know. Uh, just kicking around ideas. We need to get um, uh, what is that? Um, Brooks Boyer, the uh, marketing guy. I mean, he, I'm yeah. sure he'll be all in. He's all for any answers right now. All it is is just a huge projector screen, and they have a bunch of corn out there, and that's very true. Just take take out a couple rows of corn. They were going to have to have parking anyway, Mm -hmm. so wherever they were going to have the parking, just have cars tailgating or just watching in their cars of the game. That's going to happen right down the street. They should be be doing that in Lot B and Lot C Uh and all the lots around the stadium. Just offer projection screens with the game on, let people come out, tailgate. You know, keep cars parked in between each other, every other space to, to get, give a little bit more distance. Let people go out there, play bags with their family, get that ballpark tailgate experience. The Sox have the parking lots and the, the availability to do that. Um, charge $20 for parking. I'll happily pay it to get out there, lot B, throw some beers back with with you guys and, and watch a ball game together. We don't have and to I go think, into the stadium. I think the experience of just the fans having – of watching the game that way. And then the ballpark, like it's going to be empty, but if imagine somebody hits a home run and you hear that sound from the outside, like, ah, yeah. And then they broadcast yep. the people outside. It'd be great. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, if, if that's the closest we can get to being together as a community, 
of White Sox fans, I'll gladly take it. I'll gladly take it. Yeah. So uh, we're we're getting down the stretch, home stretch here of the show. Um, after we you know we had these questions lined up for you uh, at the end of every show, we always do a fun stuff segment, and we have a couple different uh, sections within this. And one is tinfoil hat time, and I have one that we had put out earlier. And then the other is meatball take. So Herb, start cooking up your spiciest meatball take that maybe not as you know goes along with statistics, but it's someone something that you just feel passionately about as it relates to White Sox baseball. We always try and just kind of get a you know. Uh, something that you'd tweet and it'd be you know maybe like you know people would attack you because oh he wasn't that good or whatever but something that you just uh so start thinking of that while i read off this tinfoil hat time uh theory and this one was uh from uh one of the alcs games out in la that they had showed on socks rewind and i had said that uh, i you know posted the video from socks on tap and i had said that you know uh tinfoil hat time John Lackey was still big mad about getting rocked early on. Uh, you know, Paul Canerco taking him deep in the first inning. He had that resentment build up towards the White Sox. So that's why when he was with the Cubs, um, he drilled three White Sox batters consecutively in the 2017 Crossdown Classic. So <laughs> that, was, that was mine. thought it was pretty funny. I think Tony agreed with that one. So, How do you top uh, that? Yeah, I, I, I can't read like that one off because we had it. Um, so let's let's get into meatball takes. So Tony or Boz, if you want to lead, let, let Herb cook his up a little bit longer. Let it marinate. <laughs> I, my meatball take is uh, is pretty plain and simple. If Nomar Mazzara, this is, this is my thing, and I'm, I'm thinking about putting the tweet out. I'm scared to because I don't want to get reamed. But if Nomar Mazzara exceeds expectations, the White Sox are definitely a playoff team. That's my meatball take. Ooh, like just that. no more, just no more Mazzara. No one else needs to do fine. <laughs> just, just him. Yeah, he, see, he, that's that's kind of spice you're looking for, Buzz. Yeah, I was I was trying to put a little bit of uh, red pepper flakes in it today. So that yeah. that's uh that that's my meatball take, man. So you're you're that high on Mazzara then, Buzz? It's well, the you impact. know what? It, it's it's the Im- it, it's the impact tone. Impact that you didn't think you were gonna have. That's what right. It. Exactly. Exactly. Nani Nani finished for me, man. Tony. I'm trying to go somewhere with this, but I I, th- I think you're going to see a big impact out of Chesler Cuthbert this year. Wow. <laughs> oh, Chesler God. Cuthbert. Wow. He he might be he might he might take on that Carl Everett role and might be like a negative WAR player, but come up with some like major, like just RBI singles that that lead to rallies. Chesler Cuthbert. There it is. You just, there you, you go. Just put some ghost pepper in your meatball. That's what you did. It's, it's pretty funny, Tony. Um, you kind of had a name in there that was mentioned. Uh, and I've been, you know, especially with it coming down to the World Series and the playoff stretch here with Sox Rewind, mine was going to be, and I've already, you know, I think I had one about Carl Everett's batting stance was a previous meatball take. Like I said, it was like better than Gary Sheffield or whatever. But um, this one is that Carl Everett is actually my third favorite player on that 05 World Series team. Probably not a, you know, people would say, oh, there's so many uh, above, and it's, you could go just the rotation themselves all above it. But just for personal preference, I don't know, man, just watching it, something about it. He, he had that swagger at the plate, and I loved the stance. And then, you know, he's, he's clutch. He had on insurance runs the other night in the ALCS. I love it. I love the guy. Herb? I'm trying to think of one that is, like, really spicy. I mean, I can just go with the small one that if in 2005, uh, in 2005 if AJ doesn't do what he does with the called third strike or the swinging strike and going to first, the White Sox lose that game and lose the ALCS. That's just one of them because I just think that play is just so 
monumental. I mean, they had already lost to Paul Bird in game one. <clears throat> game two was really uh, hanging by a thread, and I don't know if they had enough to go to lose that game and then go out to Anaheim for three or two if they would have got swept and do the job that they did. But I think while I do not like AJ that much as a player, I think his impact, like I was saying, was huge. And that play in particular speaks volumes for the White Sox winning. I think he got pinch run for with Pablo Azuna. Azuna stole second and then Creedy hits that double. So that's what I'm thinking. Sorry, I'm having like a tick on my throat. No, you're good. You're good, yeah. man. Um, all right, uh, guys, we were getting here. Uh, last section here. Uh, Socks on tap shout outs. Um, Herb, at the end of every show, we kind of shout out someone that maybe on Twitter or whatever um, that, you know, is White Sox related that, um, you know, you enjoyed maybe a take that they had or, uh, you know, interacting with them or something like that. So um, we'll pass it around. Buzz, you can go first. We'll go in that same order. Uh, my socks on tap shout out today goes to Matt Berkland. God damn. It. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. My uh, my socks on tap shout out goes out to Matt Berkland today. Um, at Burke ninety six, I believe it is on Twitter. <laughs> he came through to hang out with us yesterday. You know, first time we've seen him, guys, since what Reggie's, I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, so he came out last night to the Burbs to come hang out with us, and we had a couple beers. We talked some Bulls basketball and some White Sox baseball, even some Blackhawks hockey. I. I try not I'm, – I'm still learning, so I try to stay away from that, especially when Comiskey's around because I don't want to get scolded. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, he, he's, he's my shout-out today, man. Tony? I know he took yours, but <laughs> – Yeah, he took mine. So I, I kind of echo exactly what, what uh, Buzz said about, uh, about Matt coming out and hanging out last night. Uh, but I'll, I'll also give a secondary one to you, Buzz, for maintaining the, uh, the fire pit last night. That was a, it was a rough <laughs> job. Uh, when you left, the fire did die. Um, Partially because we ran out of wood, but partially because you weren't there to continue to stoke it with with other things that you could find from my garage. So, um, thank you for for maintaining the fire bus. Oh, of so you did an excellent job as any, as fire marshal of the uh, of the party last night. At any time, Jen would not let me jump over the fire, and I had enough alcohol where I thought I could clear it, but uh, she she did not let me do that. But I do appreciate being the shout out. Uh, I am the fire guy. All right, uh, my shout-out is to you, Herb, for coming on the show. Uh, gave me just a great hour of conversation on White Sox baseball. Uh, it was great to hear your takes on everything. And also, I wanted to, when we were t- talking about Re- Reggie's, uh, the 108 uh, Sox Fest after party that we were all last together at, um, I think you bought 50% of the bar of beer. You were <laughs> you, you were just bringing them over by the armful. It was awesome. Yes. Yeah, shout-out to you. <laughs> I had a couple dollars back then. I don't know if I bought 50%, but I bought, uh, it I bought seemed like three it. or four of you guys' beers. It's all good. The way you came over, man, it was just great, though. I wanted <laughs> to get a picture. You, you were, like, just hugging them, and everybody was, okay, yeah, thanks, Herb. <laughs> um, my guy is, uh, I think it's in Jason Hosking, uh, Aussie Sox. Yes. Met him, I think, at that Reggie's event, and I think subsequently his dad has passed, but every interaction with him has been very pleasant. Good to know the guy that, you know, wasn't, indoctrinating to White Sox baseball as a youngster type of thing like we are, like we were, and is loves our team as much as we do. So Jason Hosking, Aussie Sox, want to give a shout-out to him. And also, I don't know his Twitter handle, but his name is Leonard. Um, I think it's Leonardo42. I might be messing that up. Good conversation with him through Twitter. Very smart White Sox fan. Uh, one thing I've re- realized 
you know, through my travels, you know, when you're growing up, people always think of the White Sox fan as more of a uh, blue collar, not as smart fan than the Cubs. And, you know, that's been permeated through Chicago forever. But the more I interact with White Sox fans, I realize that we're just as smart as any other fan base. And I've said this on Locked on Sox many times that we're the most loyal fans of all time. Think about all the stuff that's happened in our history. The White Sox have been to playoffs nine times in their lifetime. Nine times. That's it. Won three, won three World Series. That's it. The Yankees have won 27. They're nine times better than us. And the fact that we've had terrible owners like Charles Comiskey. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorfer is not a terrible owner. He just difficult owner i'm he's he, i think he's one of the best owners he's best owners to work for i 100 but he's not very um i don't know he's more penny wise and pound foolish let's say that and so the fact that we've stayed through the 94 strike which he pretty much started himself and the bad times subsequent and then having this whole rebuild and we're just still here says a lot about us as white Sox fans Fuck all that bullshit about attendance because that shit doesn't matter. When we come together, we see that Reggie's, when we're on Twitter, we run things. Like, yeah, we might be a small vocal minority, but we have more than as shown because, I don't know, through Twitter, you guys can see, like, how many times have White Sox advanced through a poll for a national thing? yeah. Yeah, so, like, this is... Like, there's Sox fans out there. If we don't go to the games, that doesn't mean we're not fans. We can be watching at our homes or listening at our homes. So, fuck all the bullshit that people have heard about White Sox fans not being loyal, not being there, not being uh, part of the fandom and the teams. We're there. We just, you know, sometimes don't go to the games. So, that doesn't mean we're not, we're not uh, alive. We're not existent. Yeah, Herb, I think that was a great way to close this thing out. So, uh, Buzz, you, you want to lead us out here? Absolutely. Uh, before I do so, Herb, can you tell everybody about Locked On Socks and everything that you're doing at 670 The Score before we leave, just in case yeah. they don't know? I'm sure they do know, but just in case they don't. Yeah, um, Locked On Socks, it's me and Chris Tannehill, who also works at The Score. Uh, we just do, like, sometimes we do shows. Like, we haven't done one in a long time, except for last week. Just because, like, we don't want to force any issues onto people. Like, they want us to sometimes say, hey, who's the best White Sox of all time? You could do this week about what happened this week in White Sox baseball. And that's the people that locked on the, like, just want to force content. And, you know, it's decent money, but we're not in it for the money. We're in it for people listening, like you guys are. You're in it for people interacting, getting your thoughts off. And I feel like if we were to do a show, it would just be like, ugh, we're just putting it out there for money, and I don't want to do that. So Locked on Socks, we're not consistent right now. When the season starts, we'll have five shows uh, a week, pretty much recaps and previews on the next game. So uh, Locked on Socks, at, it's on Locked on Socks on Twitter and on Instagram, me and Chris Tannehill at Wall 23 and at Chris Tannehill. And the score, I work with the Lawrence Holmes show, so 12 to noon. I'm the executive producer of that show. And then after that, I work with the McNeil and Parkin show, 2 to 6. So I'm in the studio. Shep is at home, and so are the hosts right now. So that's why I'm in the studio helping them out. 
during this uh, pandemic. But during the regular thing, I just sit in another room and veg out for four hours. So score 670 AM. That's awesome, man. You know, I love all the work that you do, man. And I, I want to, I think I speak for Tony and Nani and saying how appreciative we are that you're always coming on the show and helping, you know, helping out and talking White Sox baseball with us. I mean, that's just uh, like you were saying earlier, without sports, it's been kind of rough, especially being cooped up at home. So it's nice to, you know, get other people's perspectives and actually, you know, talk about the team we love and have hopes that we actually get to see them perform um, if everything goes smoothly, which let's hope it does. But everybody be sure we're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Following us on Twitter at ontapsportsnet at SoxOnTap. Um, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find us, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever. Be sure you're subscribing, rating, and reviewing. And uh, we'll be back next Sunday with another guest. We don't know who it is yet, but stay tuned and you'll find out. Uh, we'll lead it out with this, White Sox Forever. White Sox Forever. White Sox Forever. White Sox forever.